welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Romans 13, starting in verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Have you ever woken up in the morning with that sickening feeling that you were late to something? That's probably the worst way to start off your day, is waking up and, man, popping out of the bed just knowing you're already late. I start work at 6 a.m., and, you know, the sun rises around like 6.30 certain times during the year, and that means the dawn usually happens when I'm driving to work. I have to leave about 5.30, and the dawn starts happening. You know, light comes in and shines before the sun comes up, between 5.30 and 6 usually for me. And it is the worst feeling when I wake up and I already see light coming through my blinds because that means I'm late for sure. Like That doesn't mean I can like rush and maybe get there. That means I'm late. It is the worst feeling. Have you guys ever felt that? They're like waking up just like, oh no. Sometimes it happens even when you're not late. It just like inflicts all this fear in you. But the reason why I say this is because the passage we're going to be talking about today, Paul is going to tell us the most important command for all Christians. And he's going to say we need to do it because we're in this dawn. The night is gone. We're in this dawn and the day is coming. Wake up. Like take off your PJs and get ready because, man, the day's coming. So he's like, get ready. And so that's why I mentioned that. You don't want to be sleeping for this day. You do not want to be caught 
in your little footy pajamas, Matt. All right. I know you would. I know what you were. All right. So let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll read the passage. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness, your kindness, your graciousness, your mercy towards us. We ask, Heavenly Father, according to your abundant mercy, that you would blot out our transgressions, that you would wash us thoroughly from our iniquity, and that you would cleanse us from all of our sin. Only you have we sinned against. So will you please, Heavenly Father, through the blood of your Son, cleanse us, forgive us, accept our worship, and accept my, my preaching, and let the preaching of your word be what motivates us and captivates us to worship you and to follow you. Will you please be with us this morning? And we, we ask that you would give us your Holy Spirit and Holy Spirit, that you would do what you do and you illuminate the scriptures. You give gifts to your people for the common good and the building up of your church. And so I ask, Holy Spirit, give me the gift of teaching. Please bless, bless us all through you, through the preaching of your word. Be with us. Make these words real to us. We love you, Holy Spirit, for always meeting us here. And will you also please bless all the other churches around this area. Bless all the other churches in all of the world as they meet on the Lord's Day, the morning. They meet to be encouraged and strengthened and stirred up to do good works. And as they go out into the world, into their vocation, that they would all be like little rocks thrown into this, this sea that just causes a great ripple effect that we start taking over this world with the gospel because all authority is given to you on heaven and on earth to go, therefore, and preach the gospel. Will you encourage us all to go, therefore, and preach the gospel and have healing come from us and let it start today, the Lord's Day, that we come together, be encouraged and strengthened, because this is the day that you were risen, that you defeated death, Jesus. Please be with us. Please encourage us. Please use us. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we're going to be walking through this passage with just three simple points. The greatest command, why obey it? and then how to obey it. So the three points, if you take notes, is the greatest command, why obey it, and how do we obey it. And so let's look at the first one. So look at verse 8. So the greatest command. Own no, no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And just a quick note, right there in verse 8, owe no one anything. I think this is worth just noting and saying. A lot of us use this to say that you can't take any loans, you can't borrow from anybody. I don't think that's what Paul's saying in this text. I don't think he's trying to make a point for that. But what he's really trying to get to is that there should be no outstanding debts that you have that you can't pay. Or you shouldn't get into a loan that you know you won't be able to pay. Like some of you probably have credit card debt that you could pay off right now. 
but you choose not to. That's the type of debt he's talking about. Not your mortgage that you have a plan to pay it off and it's a monthly thing. It's a debt that you could pay off, that you're not paying off, or a debt that you are taking that you just know you're not going to be able to pay. Those are the debts he's talking about. But that's just a side note. That's for free. You're welcome. Um, But the thing that he says right here, his point is, verse 8, owe no one anything except the only thing that you should be in debt with is to love each other. This is a debt that you'll never, ever be able to pay off. So it's just constantly we're striving. It's not a debt that we can go, oh, I love, I love Ryan, I'm done. Nope, you got to keep going. You got to keep loving. You, gotta, you owe them an insurmountable debt payment that will never be satisfied as we live on this earth. We constantly have to be paying it off. Amen? And we see that. He says, owe no one anything except to love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. And, you know, this is a teaching of Jesus, right? As we look at Romans 12 through 13, we can constantly look back at the Gospels and see teachings of Jesus. And so look with me real quick at Matthew 22, verse 34. Matthew 22, verse 34 through 40, it says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And so turn back to our passage. So Paul isn't pulling these things out of thin air or from his teaching. This is strictly from Jesus' own teaching, from his own ministry, that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. And as we do that, we will be able to fulfill all of the commandments. But what's interesting is if you notice in this passage, Paul is not saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Who does he say to love? Look at verse 8 again. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. And then look at verse 9, the end of it. He says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so he uses three different Greek words for who to love. So he goes, love each other, love another, and love love your neighbor. So in this passage, he's not talking about the commands to God, to that you shall have no other gods before you. He's talking about our duty as Christians, not to God, but among everybody in this whole world. And so he, he doesn't need to say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, because he's not talking about how we love God. He's now going, how do we function inside society? How are we now a blessing inside society as we go to work, as we go to school, as we go to church, as we go to the supermarket? What are we called to do? And so he's saying, love each other, love another, and love your neighbor. I think it's really cool because a lot of Christians try to justify things, and I do this too. You try to think like, oh, the commands to love or forgive. You go, oh, well, that's for believers. I don't need to do that for my non-believing uh, mother-in-law. You know, <laughs> Shout out to mother-in-laws. You guys are great. Right, just kidding. My mother-in-law is a believer, so it's not her. But it's cool because he says in verse 8, he says, love each other. 
And that sounds like believers. That sounds like us in the household of faith. But then he says, love another or the other, like an outsider. And then he says, neighbor, which Jesus in the gospels, right, talks about neighbor being anybody you're basically around. And I think what Paul's doing, using three different Greek words, he's trying to trap you going, no, everybody. Don't try and twist my words that, oh, neighbor, only the person that I'm next to or only the person that I live next to. No, he's like, love each other, another, and your neighbor. He's trying to cover all ground. Make sense? And so who are we to love? We're to love everybody. And what does love do? Love fulfills the law. And Jesus even said it in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And then how does he do it? He does it through love. He fulfills the law from the Father through love. And we see Paul saying, how do we fulfill the law? Through love. And one thing that I think we have to do in order to talk about this passage is, what is love or what does love mean? One way that I kind of prep for messages, um, Lydia probably gets annoyed by it, but I, whatever topic I'm talking about, I tend to try and find different songs that I grew up with or that are popular in our culture that talk about that topic to kind of just see what they're trying to teach us or what maybe I learned from it without even knowing. And man, this passage, as I was thinking through it, I just kept saying like, what is love? What song pops up when you think? What is love? If you guys know, yeah. The younger people maybe don't know. Night at the Roxbury's. What is love? Me and my brother dressed up as them when we were younger. And we'd go, trick or treat. Yeah. Lydia didn't know what it was, so I had to show her the video. And I was like, oh, that's bad. Never mind. The kids were trying to watch it. I was like, oh, gosh, this is horrible. <laughs> Don't Google it. All right. But yeah. <laughs> so I listened to that song. I was listening to it all week. I was like, this is fun. Yeah. But man, that song tells you nothing about love. But what I thought was cool is I was thinking about I was like, that's great because I don't think our culture even has an idea of what love is. Like that's, I think, a picture of what our culture sees love. It's this thing that you can't really obtain. It's this thing that you can't really grasp. It's this thing that we don't really understand. And so like, what is love? Baby, you don't hurt. No, I was waiting for somebody to break out. But, and then I was, I was listening to other songs, like Beatles have this song, All You Need Is Love. All You Need Is Love. And I think it's a popular thing, maybe because of some Christian teaching, that all you need is love. You know, forget the commandments. Because all you need is love. And maybe Jesus' teaching got twisted because our culture loves the word love. We love love. Like Christians love it. Our culture loves it. We just want to talk about love all the time. Love, oh, so great. And I think we have this misunderstanding about what love is. We, we think that love is opposed to law. We think that law is do not, do not. Love is do. Love does. And so there are these things that our culture and even our Christian culture sometimes sees as opposed. And so we go, love now. Christ comes in and he gets away. He does away with the law because love comes in and love is the new law. And that's not the case. Love is, love needs law. Love and law need each other because love needs law as a direction on how to love. And law needs love as its 
its focus and its its goal. Like it needs love in order to make a law so that it can care for somebody. And love needs that law to guide it as a direction. Because love in a society that doesn't have a law, love by itself is going to create a society that's going to be able to do wicked, twisted things in the name of love, and you can't judge it. Because it's love. Like, he loves her. Well, that's somebody else's wife. Yeah, but he loves her and she loves him. And you can't do anything about that because there is no law. Love is what rules. And then a society that only has law and no love is a society that's heavy-handed, that doesn't care for people, and oppresses the poor and the needy and just takes over through law and heavy-handedness. Make sense? And so these two are not separate. These two are not opposing each other. But these two, we see that love fulfills the law. You need law in order to actually do the commands the way that God calls us to do them. Law and love. Law is good for our society. And love is needed to actually do it correctly. And we see that with Jesus. Jesus comes in and he goes, I've not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And then he starts listing all these laws and explaining basically the deeper meaning of them. He's like, you know, you say you should not commit adultery, but I say to you that anyone that looks at a woman with lustful intent, he's committed adultery already with her in his heart. And so somebody who's just looking at laws going, I didn't do that. But what Jesus is saying, no, just because you physically didn't do it doesn't mean that you're loving her internally or loving that person internally because you're still using them as an object or just to satisfy your own needs. Or, you know, you've heard that it said you shall not murder. Well, I say to you, anybody who's angry with his brother or says you fool is committed of that very same sin. And so, well, I didn't literally murder them. Yeah, but in your heart, in your mind, you are not loving them. You're actually wanting them to be hurt. You're trying to pay them back because the laws, guys, are not just for us, but as we obey them in love, it's actually to better our community. Make sense? And I have an example, you know, yesterday, just thinking about this text, you know, even in my discipline of my kids, I was disciplining one of my kids and I was talking to him and I was mad. You know, the scripture says, fathers, bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, right? That's what it says. And so I'm disciplining him, but not in love. And I was doing it because he was annoying me and because I wanted him to stop. Not because I wanted to better him. Not because I wanted to restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Not because I wanted him to actually do good and to benefit and praise God and worship God. I was doing it just because of an inconvenience to me. But in that same passage where it says, fathers, bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, it also says, do not provoke them to anger. And so I think there's a way that we see law, but love is the only way that we're able to do it properly. Does that make sense? And so law and love are not opposing each other. They're actually needed to fully fulfill it, to fulfill each other. Law loves and love does law. So yeah, law and love are not opposed to each other because look what he says, verse 9. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. He's not saying it's done away with. He's saying, no, love actually 
fulfills these commands. It's good. It's needed to do them. And he, it's weird because right here he lists four commands, I believe, but he, he's listing like the last four, about the last four of the Ten Commandments, but he misses one, bear false witness, and they're kind of out of order. So he does like the sixth, the fifth, and then the um, ninth and the tenth. It's kind of interesting. So it's not that it's only these ones, only these commands, because look what he says right after it. You should not covet and any other commandment are summed up in this word. It's like he's going off memory of the Ten Commandments and he's just listing a few. And then he's like, man, I think I missed some, but and any other commandment. And so I, I don't think he's just saying the Ten Commandments because obviously he just gave us a barrage of commandments in chapter 12 and in chapter 13 to obey. And so in any other commandment, all commandments are fulfilled and carried out properly through our love for one another. And so what is love? What is love? Love is a giving of oneself to better the other person. I was listening to another song by Bruno Mars just talking about just he loves this girl and just the way you are, I think the song is called. And I think it's a great picture of what we believe is love it love is. It's anything she does, it's fine. Anything she does is perfect. The way she is is awesome. Everything's perfect. And I think girls love that. And man, I mean, if a girl thought that of me, I'd like it too. But, but what real love is, is a love that sees somebody who's in need and does everything in their power, accepts them, but does everything in their power to make them better. You know, love isn't comfortable. Love is awkward. And so like when I have something on my face, the, the loving thing for the person who sees it, to them, they might go, oh, loving is comfort. So I'm not going to, I'm just going to accept them. Oh, just keep the mayonnaise on his face. It's fine. You know, oh, keep the hot sauce on his shirt. No, the loving thing is to go, hey, uh, you got something on your shirt. Hey, you got something on your face. You know, girls, like when you're wearing eyeliner in the morning, you know, Lydia, if she doesn't wipe it off like the raccoon eyes. It's funny, I don't pay attention to that stuff, so I think she just looks fine. But early on, early on in our marriage, one time she asked me what she looked like. I was like, oh, this is good. And she comes back, she's like, you were going to let me go out like this? And I was like, like what? And she's like, with these raccoon eyes? I was like, oh, it looks fine. So I know to love her is to not let her go out like that. So I have to tell her, hey, you better tighten some things up. No, she But love actually is to better somebody, to notice their flaws, not to reject them because of their flaws, but notice their flaws and press in, giving of yourself to actually better the person. And you know what's so cool and what's such a blessing is the gospel does exactly that. Imagine if God did the love that our culture said, and he just goes, man, you guys are pieces of crap, but man, I love you, and you're going to stay like that forever. No, but what he does is he goes, wow, you guys got some room to grow and I'm going to do everything in my power to get you there, to get you where I want you to be. And he does everything. He gives of himself fully through the person and work of Jesus. He comes down, conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, lives this life that we were called to live. And then on the cross, gives of himself fully, takes the full payment and wrath of God on himself, every sin we've ever committed on him, every single sin. 
Colossians 2.14 says our record of debt was nailed to the cross. So that means the pornography that you've looked at, the adultery you've committed, the stealing you've committed, the drugs you've done, whatever it is, the abuse you've done to your kids, the anger that you've had towards your wife or your spouse or to that other person, doesn't matter what it is, it is bound up in the Savior, Jesus Christ, who takes it on himself fully because he gives of himself fully. Why? Not to leave you in your shame, not to leave you in your guilt, not to leave you the way you are, but he gives of himself to make you better. That's what love is. Love gives of ourself, fulfilling all the commandments so that every single person can become better. And so love does commandments. Love does the law to actually make society better. And Jesus gives us that example through the cross. And it's such a beautiful thing. I'm so thankful he doesn't just accept us the way that our culture sees love. Just accepting us blindly. Just however you are, I take you and I will never complain about it and I'll never do anything about it. But he does everything to make us better. Isn't that good? And so, in this next section, why should we obey it? You know, in Scripture, it's such a blessing. He gives us motivations on why to obey throughout Scripture. And even in Romans 12.1, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And so that he's giving them a motivation in the beginning of 12. Because of the mercies of God, do this. But in this passage, he gives us a different motivation. Look at it with me. So why obey this command, this great commandment to love? Look at verse 11 and 12. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So why obey this command? He's saying because the night is passing away and this day is coming. So we're in this dawn. You know, Jesus has done everything. He's come. He's defeated death he's resurrected and now he's ascended the only thing left for him to do is his second coming to come and judge so what's the the motivation for us is that jesus could come at any time and i think it's funny as even as i read it i just read it as information and like we're all just like oh it should cause if you're like a non-believer like i just feel like it should picture this like i should say He's coming at any time and all of us go, ah, if we're non-believers. And if we're believers, like, yeah, woo. But we just like, oh, yeah, I see that. Uh-huh. Because do we really believe that he's coming? There's no urgency. And it's like, well, I mean, Gabe, I mean, if we're keeping it real, you know, what's the date? You know, it's 2021. 20, it's been almost 2,000 years. I think we could chill. But it's crazy because I don't, I don't think it's that Paul literally thought the coming of the Lord was coming in his time, but because of the teaching of Jesus and this urgency that he, since he ascended, the next thing was for him to come, that they don't know because it's like a thief in the night. Jesus on, in his earthly ministry didn't even know. So the apostles are like, hey, let's do everything in our power to stay awake. And so why obey? Because Jesus could come at any time. 
And even if he doesn't come here, we could actually go to him at any time. I could literally, my heart could literally stop right now if God wanted it to right now. We could literally drive and a lot of people die in car accidents. We could die at any moment. But again, we have no sense of urgency. You know, I had this story with our second son, Ivan, when Lydia was, um, you know, getting close to being due. I forget what day it was, but it was like, a let's say, a Sunday night or something. She started having contractions real close, and it was getting stronger, you know, having these birth pains. And, um, man, pff, she was like, yeah, I think it's about to happen. I'm like, so I get the bag. I'm like ready, ready to go. I'm like packing things, doing all these things. And then like an hour comes, we call our friend that's a nurse. He's like, hey, actually, they're not that close. You should maybe wait. I'm like, dang it, okay. I'm like checking in. Hey, everything good? Ready to go? No, it hasn't, you know, it hasn't gotten worse. And I'm like, dang it. All night, I'm kind of like anticipating, like ready to go, ready to go. And then I go to work the next morning, but I'm like, I tell the guys, I'm like, hey, I'll have to leave at any time because this could happen. This is happening. And I'm like ready to go. And I leave work early. I go home. I'm like, hey, Lydia, how's it going? Like, are you ready? This is happening. And she's like, no, you know, it's still not that close. So I just start getting discouraged. I remember (laughs) as I think about the story, I just (laughs) because I'm so ridiculous. She made me a sandwich. I get home. There's a sandwich for me. I'm just like bummed. I'm on the table eating the sandwich. Lydia's like this on the couch, like, oh, I'm like, oh my gosh, are you ready? I'm like complaining about her not being fully ready yet. I'm like, hey, are we good to go? I'm like, and then she, like, there's a transition. Boom. She's like, I think we need to go. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I was like, are you sure? You don't seem like it's that bad. And yeah, jerk. Yeah, you can, you can call me a jerk. Bring your complaints. There's a box back there offering and complaints. Man, and I remember, so we go, I'm like all nonchalant now, like grab the bag, I'm like, whatever, you know. All right, this is, I guess, happening, maybe, possibly. And we're driving, and I'm like, hey, let's pray. I pray, and I'm like, God, please don't let us get shooed away. For... And she interrupts my prayer. She goes, we're not going to get shooed away. I'm like, let me pray, okay? Let me have my moment. You know, and we get there. Like, Lydia did not look that bad. She walks up. The nurse is like, oh, she's like, oh, I think I'm, you know, um, in labor. And the nurse is like, okay. And then it's funny, like, me and the nurse are talking. Lydia's, like, walking back to get dressed. Me and the nurse are, like, chopping it up. Like, hey, how's your day going? <laughs> Lydia's, like, all in all this pain. And then she comes, and then the nurse checks her, and she's like, oh, you're complete, whatever that means. And she's like, we got to go. Calling all these nurses. And, man, it was go time. Lydia pushed out the baby in one push. It was amazing. It was intense. If you want to have a baby like that, that's exciting. But the reason why I say that <laughs> is, you know, how funny and, like, dumb and silly that is? I think a lot of us are like that when it comes to these warnings and these commands. We go, like, is it really coming? And we're tired of, like, serving. We're tired of giving of ourselves. We're tired of doing what God wants. And so we just go, like, you know what? I'm going to serve myself. And that's where I was at, being this pathetic husband, just going, you know, I've been worrying about this all day. It's not going to happen. And so now I just turn inward and I start serving myself rather than my wife and rather than, you know, my baby. I'm just like, you know, it's about me now. And I think a lot of us are like that when it comes to this coming of our Lord. 
do we really believe it's happening? No, I don't think so. And what Paul is urging us, he's like, wake up. Do not be caught sleeping. Do not be caught twiddling your thumbs or checking your Instagram. No, wake up. It could happen any time. Why are you not either freaking out or so excited living the life that God calls you to live? And it's because we don't believe it. I have this article I read a couple years ago. Yeah, a couple years ago from Desiring God. And it was titled, Satan Will Sing You to Sleep. And this guy was writing about a new friend he has. And he says, and I quote, My new friend lives in an Islamic country where sharing the gospel, if you're caught, will get you thrown into prison and likely tortured to extract information about other Christians. Yet he and his wife are daily diligently seeking to share the gospel with others because they want to share with them in its blessing. And, you know, each morning they're faced with that they could die and the wife could be tortured, the husband can be tortured. And they actually had a time, it says, and I quote, a number of years ago, this man and his wife were given the opportunity to move to the States, and they did. After living here for a period of time, however, the wife began to plead with her husband that they move back to their Islamic country of origin. Why? She told him. It's like there's this a satanic lullaby playing here and the Christians are asleep. I feel like I'm falling asleep. Please, let's go back, which they did. And I read that. And I was like, wow, that's really creepy. And I think that's true of myself. You know, and I reading an article like that, it could be misleading because it could make you think that the Christian life is all about you have to move to another country. You have to die for the faith. And that's if it comes to that, yes. If it comes to that, we should be ready to do that, to give everything, all of ourselves to the Lord, for we are His and He is Creator. He tells us what to do. But, but, that does not mean every single Christian is called to this extreme way of living. But every Christian is called to be awake, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and live in a radical way that's living as if we live in the day, not in the night. Amen? Let not the technology around you, the wealth around you, the security around you, the media around you, the news around you, encompass you and take over you. Because it might be making you go to sleep and missing the things that God has for you. You need to do what God calls you to do, and that's it. And if that's live here, live a good life, take care of your kids, take care of your wife, live and work a godly life, preaching the gospel to people that come around, inviting them to church, worship, do all these things. That's what he calls you. Do it with all your might for him. Live that's appropriate way for the day, not for the night. Amen? So why obey? Because the coming of our Lord. Because we're in this dawn that the next thing is for him to come. And it can happen whenever. And we should live as if it's happening whenever. Wake up. Take off your little footy pajamas, your little slippers. Get ready for the day. Don't be caught sleeping. Eric actually told me, I was, Eric was like, hey, you should, mess, you should title the message, Time to Get Woke. And, and then I told him, I was like, all right, I'm going to say that. He's like, no, don't say that. Don't, 
He thought we were going to get canceled. All right. So last point. Now, how to obey it. So I'll, re- I'll start in verse 11, but how to obey it is verse 12 and on. So besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And so how are we, how are we to obey it? It gives us this picture of put off and then put on. It's this image of clothing. And so like literally take off your PJs, take off your night clothes and put on clothes that are appropriate for the day. You know, he says that, right? He says, verse 13, let us walk properly as in the daytime. So it's this dawn that day's about to come. Don't have your blinds shut. No, get ready. It's the day's coming. Dress ready. Dress appropriate. If you're a girl, get your makeup on if you wear makeup. If you're a guy that has more hair than I do, get your hair ready. You know, get ready for the day. Dress appropriate for the day. Take off. And look what he says to take off. Verse 12 towards the middle, it says, So then let us cast off the works of darkness. And then look at verse 13. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual morality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. So what are we to take off? We're to take off the deeds of the darkness. We're to take off the deeds of this world. And he says, cast off the works of darkness. And then he he gives these, these six sins, six of them, and he groups them in twos. So he gives three pairs, sets of twos. Look at them with me. Verse 13. So the first pair, it says, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness. This is talking about drinking, like big drinking parties. And so orgies here, we would see it maybe only sexually, but it's it's drunken revelry, things that happen after a lot of drinking, out of like this huge party. What's going to happen after a lot of drinking? He's going orgies and drunkenness. And then the next section is not in sexual morality and sensuality. And that's specifically just talking about sexual sins, sexual morality and sensuality. And then the third group is not in quarreling and jealousy. And that's talking about sins that tear up a community. And I know that some of us probably do struggle. And in this time, we do still have those sins of drunkenness that leads to these other sins that are just wrong and horrible and gross. And some of us do that. We need to put off that. We need to put off letting drinking control us and do other sins that are worse because that's what people do in the nighttime. And then he says, the sexual sin, sexual morality and sensuality, being a person that lives just to be satisfied, just to be pleased, just like an animal who's just trying to get his passions satisfied or his desires satisfied. We need to put off that way of living, the sexual desires controlling us. And then lastly, he says, not in quarreling and jealousy, these sins that tear up communities. How many of us are probably, if the Lord comes and we go, Lord, well, I had the right information. 
And I was arguing with tons of people online. And he's like, that's not what I called you to do. How many of us have maybe the right information, but all we want to do, we're not doing it to fulfill love or to, to obey the command to love, but we're doing it just to prove our point and to say they're wrong, and it's causing division. Does that make sense? And so these sins are quarreling and jealousy, sins that just divide us. And I think this is more important for, I think, us, quarreling and jealousy. Let us not have this way of thinking, like when we're seeing somebody worship or something, and we're like judging them, and we're like, oh, putting up their hands. Oh, they don't mean that. I found myself doing that today, and I was like, what would, how would love fulfill the commitment? Like, what if my judgment's true? Should I still be doing this? Like, okay, man, I don't think they're really worshiping. Should I be going, God, I don't think they're really worshiping. I think they're fake. I think they're just doing it to show off. We need to put off that attitude. What we need to do is put on love that fulfills the command. If that's true, well, then we should pray for them. I needed to go, God, please help them to really be doing it for you. Not for us, not that we would see them. And let me worship you. But instead of worshiping you, I'm judging people. I'm letting division happen within my heart. And so he's saying, put off all these deeds of darkness that are sin, that cause division, and put on, look at what he says in verse 12, says, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. And then verse 14, it says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what's really cool about this is he says, take off the deeds of darkness, but he doesn't say put on the deeds of light or put on the deeds of Jesus. He says, put on the, the armor of light and put on the Lord Jesus. Isn't that, isn't that cool? So it's not deeds, it seems like, that we're to do, but it's we're to put on this armor of light. We're to put on Jesus. And it's kind of confusing. I think it does mean to do good deeds like Jesus, but I think there's a bigger and more beautiful picture here talking about the unity and union that we have with Christ. You know, turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians 2.20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so there's this reality that in Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in and through me. Isn't that weird? But it's because we're so united with him that his life flows through us. As we're grafted into the vine, which is Jesus, who gives us life, his life flows through us. Our deeds become his deeds. And so what Paul is saying is put on the Lord Jesus. Don't just be a hypocrite that wears a mask that's acting. No, but put on the Lord Jesus and let his life flow through you. And it might feel like unattainable, but what we need to do is ask God to do that. We need to ask him to give us life. And what we need to do is be people that look to Jesus and look to his word. And as we do this, and as we go through our lives, stepping out in faith, doing what he calls us to do, we need to pray that as we do it, that it becomes the works of Jesus. And I think that's what we find. Like, you know, a lot of people in our area tend to go like, well, I didn't read today because I didn't feel like it. So I don't want to be fake. You know, you hear that a lot. You go like, well, I don't want to do it, so I don't want to be fake. Well, it's like if my son said that to me, 
He's going to get disciplined. You know, like, no, I told you to do this. There's a command. And so I think what needs to start is that we would pray, God, as I do it, let it be your work. Let me put on Christ. Yes, it is the deeds, but it's not being fake. It's asking him to work through us and live through us and have his life flow from us. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in and through me. And then lastly, how do we obey this? Look at verse 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. The last thing that we need to do to really obey these commands is we need to suffocate and strangle that flesh that clings so closely to us. You know, it's like this picture. Christ saves us, redeems us, and we're becoming this new man, but there's this dead guy attached to us that we need to not give any more snacks to. This like zombie that's like, can I get that? And you're like, oh yeah, here you go. And he's just like consuming us and taking over us. And we're just like, yeah, this feels great. Here, have another. And we're just feeding him and feeding him. And he's getting stronger and stronger. Well, he says, make no provision for the flesh. You need to starve this guy. Stop giving him food. Stop giving him a little goldfish. It's not snack time. We're done. If you're struggling with lust, maybe put down Instagram or maybe stop following certain people. Or if you're struggling with covetousness and you're tired or envy and you're tired of looking at people going on vacations, put down Instagram. Stop getting jealous as you're double tapping going like, oh, I love that. (laughs) Stop growing so bitter. Like, man, how many of us who have kids, like kids is a competitive business. It's like, man, my kid's like two and not walking. That kid's like two months and he's walking. And you're getting bitter. It's like, stop feeding the flesh. Stop feeding this anger. Stop feeding all your jealousy and strife. Whatever it is, cut it out. If you're dealing with gluttony, maybe don't order everything that you want off the list. Do half. Or maybe don't go to McDonald's. But that's a hard one. Yeah, Lydia's a dietitian. I'll say, I used to hate when she would ask me, what'd you eat for lunch? I'm like, don't ask me that. Gosh. I'm like, McDonald's again. Yeah, we we had an office right next to McDonald's. It sucked. Or great. But stop feeding the flesh. Whatever it is, make no provision for the flesh. And what's so cool, guys, is as you realize where you're feeding this little, little dead guy that tries to take over you, as you stop, man, it is so life giving and it is so nice as you start to see your life come back. And you start to be able to take over again. Because isn't it sometimes, man, when you're struggling with sin, it feels like there's no way out. And it literally feels like that guy is surrounding you and about to take your last drop of life, your last breath of air, and he's going to fully take over. And I felt like that, especially last year, as community was ripped from us and as we were just going more technologically on the web, it was strangling me. But what we're called to do is make no provision for the flesh and do not satisfy or gratify its desires. It wants something, and you guys and we all have been giving what it wants every day. Let's cut it out. Let's choke him out. Let's let him die. And let us put on our Lord Jesus and fulfill the commands as we love one another, doing the commands that he calls us to do, to be hospitable, to welcome each other as Christ welcomes us. And we do this because Jesus loved us and gave of himself. He considered his interests more important than his own. Our interests, our best interests, 
was that we would be forgiven and not only forgiven, but be transformed from one degree of glory to the next. And he did everything possible so that that could happen. Isn't that good? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your plan of redemption. That, Heavenly Father, you knew from the very beginning what your plan would be, what your plan was, what your plan is to save sinners. Even in the garden, we see the first book that we get to open. We see your grace and your kindness. You know, you didn't, you didn't cast them out of the garden to be wicked or to be cruel. You actually cast them out of the garden because it was a grace to us. It was a grace to Adam and Eve that they would be able to die. Like it was a grace. If you would have allowed them to live forever, they would have lived in their sin forever. But you cast them out and you sacrifice an animal and you clothe them. All of their guilt and all of their shame that they were trying to hide from you with these pathetic little leaves, you were the one that brought grace into the garden. You approached Adam and Eve. You called them out from out of that bush. You took off their leaves and sacrificed an animal to clothe them as a picture of one day giving us and satisfying all of our guilt and all of our shame in another sacrifice in your Son who clothes us fully of all of our shame. And we can now live the lives you call us to live. Help us, Holy Spirit, to not gratify the desires of the flesh, to be awakened from our sleep and from our slumber. Help us, Holy Spirit. Convict us of where we're lacking, but do it in the hopes that you will change us. And we know we have confidence in that. You show us our sin because you want to change us and make us more and more into the image of your son, into Jesus. We thank you for that. Help us to love you. Help us to love one another. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at covgraceminifee.org. May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.